Hey, uh, Northview, I am here with a familiar face for most of you. Jeff, what are you doing here? I am here because I was at a conference this week with you. And right. I really had a good time. What it was kind fantastic. Of, what kind of conference? Well, it was in Whistler, and it was for churches that want to plant churches together. So it was called Churches Together. We're not sure if that's going to be called going forward, but it's everything needs a name. So yeah. we went with that, but we're going to end up, uh, Lord willing, planting churches together. And I came actually kind of represented Harvest Bible Chapel, who's very interested in helping plant churches in Canada. Yeah, that's awesome. So 50 guys together at this retreat. And Jeff, but look, tell us, like we sent you away a few months ago. How's this revitalization that, uh, that we sent you to do? How's it going? It is going really well. I mean, from my point of view, it's been okay. three, four months. And uh, I love the people there. I actually love the church. It's a real challenge. It's hard, um, but God has been really faithful to provide lots and lots of things already that are needed for the church to find some health and to move forward. Uh, lots of excitement about it. We baptized like 93 people one mm. weekend just yeah. a couple of few days ago. So the Lord's doing some really cool work there. That's awesome. And you're preaching this weekend, right? I'm not preaching this weekend. Um, I'm around this weekend. Uh, but I'm going to be back in February, and I, I am preaching in February. That's so I'm right. storing up all of my wrath, and I'm bringing it in February. February, looking good. Be warned. Going to look forward to that. February, what, what you're coming back, what is that for? Oh, that's another conference. Okay. Uh, you're city. just on the conference circuit now. Is that <laughs> what you're doing? I promised that yeah. I would do these two for you. That's right. On the you way. Did. You did. Uh, city to city, Redeemer City to city, uh, which we're part of. Yeah is having a conference in, in um, Vancouver, and I'm gonna be part of it. I'm able to uh, preach. Tim Keller actually is gonna be speaking there, yeah. and uh, and me. Yeah, good It'll line. be a competition between which one's more important, I, I know. know. I know, we're gonna take pop popularity ratings. It's gonna be great. So, hey, um, those of you listening in, most of you know this, but in case you don't, let me just make a comment. A number of years ago, Northview intentionally embraced uh, a, a new vision of training leaders, multiplying churches, supporting and partnership to, to see the gospel expanded across Canada. Jeff, a lot of that came from some work that God was doing in your heart. Just catch us up on where that came from initially, that change of vision. Well, actually, it happened at uh, a conference that you are a part of, you guys put on uh, when you were part of CSU. So actually, I'm responsible You're, for this. You are, basically. Okay, it was called great. a Multiply yeah. Conference, and I was there. And it just thought, you know, the threads came together for me that uh, the best way to reach a city is through new churches and through churches in general. And the best way to transform the culture in those cities is through churches. And the best churches have uh, really strong leaders. And so we just thought, well, that's what we should focus on is training leaders and planning churches. And so we, we started out on a path thinking, well, what, what would it look like if we ended up kind of organizing our church around that kind of mm -hmm. thing and giving that vision to the people here? Yeah. And they've been amazing. I mean, to they be honest have been. with you, yeah. No, they have been. And honestly, two and a half years ago, that's what drew me here was this vision. Mm. Come work with you and do this. And you know what? I, I could have thought, and actually I did wonder, is this Jeff's vision? Uh, is it just the elders' vision? But honestly, when I got here and I started talking to people in the hallways and just anecdotal conversations, I realized actually, you know, the church family owns this. Yeah. They're excited about it. And I've had a lot of conversations with people. And, and then as you started this conversation in Chicago, one of the first questions I was asked by somebody, are, are we going to stop planning churches? Are we going to stop developing leaders? And it was like, no, we're not doing, we're not stopping. So in the last five, six years, uh, God's already using Northview in a lot of ways, some replants. Uh, starting some campuses here in town uh, and then we want to partner with a whole bunch of other people who are doing it in places where we can't go or we're not going to well, live so there. There's so many different uh, 
partnerships that are at different stages right. uh, that will bear fruit in the next five years, like remarkable fruit in the next five years. That's true. One of the newest ones is what's, what, what, what God's doing back in Atlantic Canada and some connections that we've got there. But I know you've got some actually personal roots back there. Yeah, my mom's from Prince Edward Island. <laughs> Anna Green yeah. Gables. Yes, and she is in. And not really though. No. Okay. Actually, though, uh, you know, in the movie where they go running onto the they go running onto the beach. That's a beach called Cavendish. That's where my dad met my mother because he was scoping for chicks. Ah. So that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And you've been there a few times in your life. Yeah, I have. Yeah. It's a beautiful spot, and also a lot of extended family live there. So. I'm really thankful, actually, that there are churches starting to be planted. It's not a, it's yeah. not a reached place. Yeah. So we've got a couple guys in town. They were here for the conference. They stayed over the weekend uh, from Atlantic Canada. One of them is going to be speaking to us in a bit of time here. Uh, and uh, Stephen Bray, Newfoundland. When did you first meet Stephen, and what do you know about this vision for planting in Newfoundland? I think I met him as part of uh, some of the Multiply stuff, but uh, immediately was drawn to him because he's got this really cool ministry where he uh, they're planting, I think it's called Mile One Mission, yeah. and they are planting a whole bunch of churches at 30, 50, something like that over the next number of years. I, you've told me before that Atlantic Canada, that Newfoundland is, is it's, it's as reached as uh, Quebec, which is not very, yeah. and uh, probably one of the most unreached places in North America. So this guy has taken it upon him and his church to have the same kind of vision that we have. Right. And so partnership made a ton of sense. Yeah. Jeff, thanks for being here. Uh, it was really great. It, honestly, it was great to have you back this week for the conference and uh, meeting with those guys up in Worcester. And we're, we're looking forward to having you in February because uh, I'm going to take a weekend off and I'm going to heckle you. That's, That's going to be awesome. And uh, we want to invite Stephen's going to come and preach. And I just want to say he's a friend uh, and he's a great brother. And I encourage you folks, if any of you have any connections, relationships in Atlantic Canada, join with this brother in praying uh, for that God would raise up the leaders that are needed uh, to reignite a, an evangelism movement all across Atlantic Canada. So it's going to be encouragement to hear from him. And Jeff, do look forward to seeing you in a bit of time. But we should get off the stage here and we should say, here comes Stephen. Well, greetings, Northview Community Church. It is good to be here with you. I have known of you for quite some time. You've been, been, you have been prayed for by another church on the other end of the country. So my name is Pastor Steve Bray. I am the lead elder of Calvary Baptist Church in St. John's, Newfoundland, all the way 5,000 miles on the opposite coast. But we are so incredibly blessed to have friends like Pastor Mark and to know friends like your former pastor, Pastor Jeff, who have been intimately a part of what I'm doing on the East Coast, and you guys are actually partnering with us. So I bring you greetings from our church and from a church planting initiative that our church has launched about three, four years ago called Mile One Mission. So here's our goal. St. John's, Newfoundland is a city of approximately a quarter of a million people. It is less than one half percent evangelical. It may very well be the least evangelized city in Canada. So about four years ago, our church decided we wanted to see a new resurgence of evangelicalism in our city. And so our goal with Mile One Mission, because the Trans-Canada Highway, Mile One, starts in St. John's. So our desire is to plant 10 churches over the next five to 10 years. And by God's grace, we've planted one. Our second one is in its startup stage. And then we're going from there. Now, the good news is our first church plant was in a neighborhood of St. John's called Kilbride. 
It's a community of about 12,000 people. There's never been an evangelical church there. The neighborhood is 138 years old. And I want to tell you that we started our first church there and we've already had our first convert. Think about it. The first time someone has named the name of Jesus in repentant prayer in 138 years. That takes love and commitment. Which, by the way, is what I want to preach to you about this morning. If you have a Bible, I want to invite you to go to John chapter 15 with me this morning. John chapter 15, and I'm going to read verses 12 to 17 in just a minute. But here I am, a visitor. We are literally coast to coast here in our country. And I don't know about you, but it's almost been two years of us living with COVID. Officially, all the lockdowns kind of started in March of 2020. And I don't know about you, but it seems like that's so very far away. And yet, here we are right in the middle of it. Words like pandemic and strain or variant, the word that I've learned to hate, pivot, are still seared into our minds. Masks and lockdowns and community spread, physical distancing are still present realities. And then add to that our current stresses. Now we're dealing with vaccines and whether to get them or not, whether we should still wear a mask or not, whether we're going to need a third booster or not, and for how long. We've all asked ourselves questions like, do we trust the government? Well, what about do we trust God? Can we trust our culture and how should we act as Christians? Now, as we come together in Canada on this Sunday here in October, over 2,000 years removed to Jesus' ascension, we've gathered to worship God, we've gathered to celebrate the gospel, and I pray we've gathered to live out our faith. And we do so in a COVID world. Election, a federal election is not that far behind us, and excuse me for my Newfoundland-ishness, 650 odd million dollars for not much to change makes us in Newfoundland a little bit more cynical. But here we are now with vaccine passports. Are we through the fourth wave? Will a fifth one come? We've just had announcements about vaccines for kids 5 to 11, and then I think things are really going to get tense. When parents have to decide, will I let my kid get this vaccine? Is the vaccine truly safe? The whatabouts, the how comes, and the what nows are everywhere in our lives, aren't they? And yet here we are, a church. We're trying to give each other grace. I know we, we've been working at that in our end of the country. We're trying to be examples as good citizens in our country to a watching world and culture. We're trying to obey God above all else. We're trying to protect the weak and the vulnerable. And we still want to be a safe place for any and all people. We're surrounded by uncertainty, mistrust, defensiveness, and fear. And not to mention, we face our own struggles, don't we? See, the problem is we not only struggle with our struggles now, but because of social media, we know about the struggles all around the world. And it can just be, well, overwhelming. Social media is a toxic sex pool of hate, conspiracy theories, and labeling anyone who doesn't hold your point of view. And what's the result of all this? Are you ready? Hurting people, hurting people. We've got to own it. We're hurting people. And so often we hurt people. Let's be honest, marriage can be and is often hard. Family can be stressful. Goodness gracious, now we live in a world where going to a movie can be a fight about space or masks. 
going to a restaurant is turned into a struggle between the vaccinated versus the unvaccinated? And what about church? And what about Christians? Can I ask you, Northview, has and is your church a safe place? We're hurting, searching, confused people like you and me can come together and find things like love and grace and mercy. But can we also find patience and long-suffering and gentleness? Is church, is your church, is my church a place for broken people so we can actually be honest and vulnerable? Where sinners can sing of a great Savior who has declared them to be saints. I love that. That's my message to all of my church. We are all sinners, and we've got a great Savior who, have, because of His work, has made us saints. So how? Let me ask you this. How are we going to navigate the crazy times we live in? How are we going to be good citizens and yet honorable Christians? How are we going to be true to God's Word, all the while obeying God's Word and actually being Christian while we do it? Well, I'm glad you asked. Because are you ready for this? I've traveled 5,000 miles to give you this. Here's the answer to all of these struggles. Look to Jesus. That's right. My grandfather used to tell me it doesn't have to be complicated to be profound. You see, that's what the Gospel of John is really all about. John the Apostle is writing a look at Jesus biopic. He's inspired of God to show us Jesus as Jesus relates to people. And he chooses to do this in a, a really incredible way that makes John unique from Matthew, Mark, and Luke. John chooses seven amazing signs like the woman at the well and the man born blind and raising Lazarus from the dead. And he mixes that with seven amazing I am statements of Christ like I am the light of the world, I am the good shepherd, and I am the resurrection and the life. Now, those seven signs and seven statements are interspersed with conversations. I'm preaching through the Gospel of John at my home church, and I've labeled the entire series Conversations with Christ because that's what Jesus is doing. He's conversing with people, people like you and me. Jesus talks to sinners and saints. He talks to the outcast, and he talks to the religious elite, whether it's his mother Mary or an unnamed woman at the well, a Pharisee named Nicodemus, or a man born blind. He speaks to intimate friends like the sisters, Mary and Martha, and complete strangers like that paralyzed man who was superstitious and worn out, having been paralyzed for 38 years. There's crowds, there's little groups, there's believers and naysayers, but then, in the midst of all that, woven through the 21 chapters of John are these 12 apostles. All of them are there, and it's all meant for you and I to come to one conclusion. You see, the Gospel of John, John's writing style, he doesn't tell you why he writes his Gospel till the very end of his book. In John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, he tells us, this is why I've written everything. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. He's only chosen seven. But these, these seven that I've chosen are written, and here's why, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And you may say, well, Steve, you traveled 5,000 miles to tell me what I already know. Hang on. Listen to what the result of that believing is. And that by believing, you and I may have life 
in his name. Now, that's not just eternal life. That's abundant life. That's a peace-driven life. That's a joy-filled life. That's an understanding-my-times kind of life. I want you to think about the people that we're talking about. These 12 disciples are mostly made up of fishermen. Being from Newfoundland, you can imagine, I identify with these guys. There's a tax collector named Matthew, a Jewish zealot, and of course there's the betrayer Judas. But Jesus has actually called all 12 of them. He's taught them. He even empowered them and sent them and protected them. Jesus has shown them things. He's rescued them and rebuked them. He's walked them through their confusion, dealt with their doubts, confronted their pride, strengthened their lack of faith, and was even patient with their lack of understanding. In a sentence, Jesus has loved them. Jesus has just washed their feet back in John chapter 13. He's told them about Judas, that he's going to betray them, although they didn't get it. He told them that he was leaving and that they were weaker than they think. That's actually what you read in John chapter 13. He says, I'm leaving. Judas will betray. You're all weak. And then John chapter 14 verse 1 says, let not your hearts be troubled. I don't know. You can't make this stuff up. This is what I love about my Bible. It's so real and raw. Jesus is telling them over and over again. He's comforting them. And so now as you come to John chapter 15, which by the way is actually the love chapter. It's not John, or 1 Corinthians 13. I will get to that. But in John chapter 15, you can break it into three parts. In verses 1 to 11, Jesus explains his love for the disciples. In verses 12 to 17, which we're going to talk about this morning, he talks about or commands their love for each other. And then in verses 18 to the end of the chapter, he talks about their love for a world that will hate them back. So why have I said all of this when I want to just talk about a few little verses in the middle? Here's my, here's my thing. My sermon in a sentence is this. Christ's love for us is what commands our love for each other. Now stick with me. What I, what I mean is, as I've watched my world and my life and my circumstance unfold over the last 20-odd months, one thing I've discovered is we struggle with a true definition of love. We trouble with understanding love. We, trouble, we have trouble and struggle with how to apply love to each other. And that's because ultimately, I don't think we can unpack what it means to love each other until we know how much Jesus loves us. In our passage of John chapter 15, if you look back at verse 9, I actually think this is one of the greatest verses in all of the Bible. And some, a verse that so many of us just gloss over and we don't think about. We don't engage our meditative brains to think about it. In John 15, 9, Jesus says, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now don't run by that. See, often you and I, we can think of Jesus' love in terms of grace and mercy and forgiveness and provision. But when you think of God the Father and His love of God the Son, God the Son doesn't need mercy. God the Son doesn't need grace. So what kind of love does the Father have for the Son? Is it not that the Father delights in the Son? That the, the Father empowers the Son so that all the promises of God find their yes in Jesus Christ? And then Jesus says, that's the way God loves you and I. See, I think our problem in Canada, in the Church of Canada, in October of 2021, I'm not even sure we struggle with a theology problem. We struggle with a worship problem, an adoration problem of really believing that God loves us this much. 
What we are actually going to do as we gather together as various means of worship across this country, we are celebrating the love of God for us, but in celebrating it in community. And that's what I want you and I to see. So let's look at our passage, John chapter 15, verse 12. This is my commandment, Jesus says, that you love one another. Now go to the end right away down to verse uh, 15, uh, sorry, uh, 17. Now he says, these things I command you so that you will love one another. So he begins at 12, I got a command for you, love one another. Then at the end he says, this, these things I command you so that you will love one another. Now sandwiched in there is not how you and I are to love, but how Jesus loves you and me. That's what I find fascinating. And this is why we knew it. He says, greater love is no one than this, in verse 12 and 13, that someone laid down his life for his friends. Now, now stop and take a minute. Stare at these words. Consider them. What jumps out to you about God? About Jesus? And about you? You see, Jesus tells us that love is actually a command. Some have actually said this could be the, called the 11th commandment. Remember back in Matthew when the Pharisees were trying to trick Jesus and they send a lawyer, and in Matthew 22 and verse 34 he says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. That's uh, quoting Deuteronomy 6. And then he jumps ahead to Leviticus and he says, The second is like, on it, like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And then he says, on these two commands depends all the law and prophets. Do you see what Jesus is saying? He's saying basically this. You, are, you and I are never going to love and obey. We're never going to be godly in our strength. We're never going to muster it up. We're never going to find this inner strength. You're never going to clean yourself up. You're never going to motivate yourself. Oh, and by the way, even if you try, here's the problem we have in our country today, especially amongst Christians. When we try to muster up God's love and we try to manufacture it and we try to force it, you know what happens? Let's be honest. It feels burdensome, exhausting, and you'll end up in one of two ways. You'll end up either being bitter and tired and wanting to quit. So you'll become defensive and self-preservationist. And I think many of you out there know what I'm talking about. You're like, I can't do this anymore. I got to take care of me. I got to look out for me. Or you go to the other extreme where you think you're doing it, so you become self-righteous and entitled, even self-confident. And so you'll feel life like feeling you're owed. Hey, let me tell you how much I've served, how much I give, how much I've loved you. Do you know what I've sacrificed? And you'll know that you're struggling with this because you'll find that you have this sense of anger or a lack of being thankful, like a complaining spirit. One of the things my staff back home laugh at me about is I'll always call ourselves out on whether we're being those two Muppet judges. You remember those, those of you that are my age, the Muppets and the two judges? And all they did was sat off in the distance and just mocked and criticized everything. This is what happens when professing Christians try to love without knowing the love of Jesus. Richard Phillips, in his commentary, put it like this. There are people who speak very casually about imitating Christ. Some foolishly attempt to gain their way to heaven by being like Jesus. And one of the examples of this is that popular thing. You remember that bracelet, WWJD, what would Jesus do? And all of the, the, the big thing that that was at the time. And then Phillips says this, the idea is that all we have to do in any situation is know what Jesus would do and then do it ourselves. Sounds pretty simple. 
The problem with this approach is that it fails to realize that Jesus is unique both in his person and in his mission. You see, in most situations, Jesus would do and can do what you and I cannot do. And in some cases, we should not do. The most important example is how Jesus responds to the sins of his people, people like you and me. The most important thing is that he lays down his life uniquely and perfectly as the once for all sacrifice for atonement to sin. You and I can't do that. So the very heart of the Christian faith is what Jesus did for us, precisely because we could never do it for ourselves. You see, I don't know who said it, but one guy said, Jesus didn't come to make bad people good. Jesus came to make dead people alive. And so we are saved not by doing what Jesus did, but by trusting what Jesus did for our salvation. Oh, there's no doubt we're supposed to love each other and imitate Christ. Ephesians 5.1, right? Be imitators of Christ as dear children. But the Bible does not tell us to do what Jesus did. He commanded his disciples to do as he did. And it's motivated from you and I knowing how much Jesus loves us. And so I have just three little points here because, again, in verse 12, this is my commandment that you love one another. Verse 17, these things I command you so that you love one another. Sandwiched in there in 13 to 16 are three facets of Jesus' love for you and I that motivates our love for each other. The first one is this. In verse 13, we're going to see the sacrificial love of Jesus. Greater love is no man than this that a man lay down his life for his friends. The fundamental principle that every Christian has to think about, what you and I got to ponder and meditate on and think about and apply to every aspect of life, is that the greatest example and the depth of love is that Jesus laid down his life for us. Now, the reason I say that is because that's what's going to motivate our love for each other in two ways. When you and I look to Jesus as our greatest example of love, as our greatest picture of love, as the greatest experience of love you and I can have, we see it first, it's modeled in Jesus. He laid down his life for us. But his is the deeper love because he didn't just lay down his life for friends. Romans chapter 5 verse 8, but God showed, displayed, made known his love for us and that while we were still enemies, sinners of God, he still died for us. And then secondly... He is the model for us. So he's the model to us, but he's the model for us. That's why John would later write in his letters, 1 John chapter 3, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And so we have to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. You see, when Jesus says these words in John 15, 12 to 17, he's literally about 16 hours away from being betrayed by Judas, abandoned by the other 11, arrested, beaten, laughed at, scorned, spit upon, abused, humiliated, and he would hang on a tree naked to die for our sin in front of his mom. And yet here he is, 16 hours earlier, loving these men, encouraging these men. God's word is clear on this. And this is why we love each other. 
This is why we don't need to be afraid of the tension we're living in right now with COVID and all these things. One of the things we do, remember back in John chapter 13, he says, a new commandment I leave you that you love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples. How? By your love for one another. Listen, I know there's lots of us to disagree with our government with, not like or second guess, and we need to pray about, and we know the tension of praying for and supporting and obeying and yet not always agreeing. But this is a challenge for us to love each other the way God has loved us within the church. And God's promise is that will speak to the world because it's a sacrificial love. Jesus is going to go and lay down his life for these 11 men. And by the way, Jesus did that for you and I. He loved us so much. He gave up his rights. We throw around this phrase like rights and gave up. But remember again what Paul told the Philippians in Philippians chapter 2? Having this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though Jesus was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But watch this. Listen to these phrases. Christ emptied himself. He took the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Now, we have this danger in our Christian world that we have this Christian language. Dane Orland wrote a book um, called Gentle and Lowly that I cannot recommend to you enough. And in it, he says this, Jesus didn't just die for us. He walked through our death for us. Jesus didn't simply die. He was condemned. Jesus absorbed our death and our sin and our pain, all to give us his love and to give us his mercy and grace. And what does that do? This gives us value and it gives us purpose. This gives us mercy and hope and rest. It gives us peace and joy. It gives us a perspective on life. Oh, and by the way, it gives us a perspective on suffering and COVID-19. It calms us when we face questions and doubts. It protects us when we're hurt or we experience the relationship pains we all face. That's the heart of Jesus. Doesn't that make John 3.16 even more incredible? For God so loved the world that he gave his own and only son, the one he loved that he delights in, and he's ready to lavish that love on us. I love this. One man has said, the love of God for Christians becomes the love of God between Christians. Is that true of me and you? So... Jesus loves us sacrificially. But look again, Jesus loves us intimately. Look at our passage again. He says in verse 14, you are my friends. And friend, I could preach an entire sermon on just that phrase. Because I don't think we believe it. What a friend we have in Jesus. But do we actually think that? And here's the problem when we think about friendships. Notice what Jesus says. He says, you are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants or slaves, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. Why? For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. So what, what are we getting at here? Jesus is saying, I love you intimately. I know you. You're my friend. You see, think of some famous people. Wayne Gretzky, Sidney Crosby, hockey players. I mean, would you be impressed if I said, I know Sidney Crosby? You should be because I do know Sidney Crosby. I met him, believe it or not, when he was a young boy playing for Ramuski when uh, he was in Prince Edward Island. I got the opportunity to meet him there. 
So I can legitimately say, I know Sidney Crosby, but he's not my friend. If you found Sidney Crosby and said, do you know Steve Bray from Newfoundland? He'd go, I have no idea who you're talking about. But imagine if I say, I know Justin Trudeau. You'd be like, okay, yeah, well, take a number. Everybody's met him. But what happens if next week he does a press conference and he says, you know what? I called up my friend Steve Bray and asked him to pray for me or asked him my, his advice. Now you'd all think, oh, my goodness. Steve Bray knows and is known by the prime minister. So Jesus says, listen, you're not calling me a friend. I'm calling you my friend. You're my friend. I love you. I've sacrificed everything for you. And, and let me unpack this in Romans 5. Paul says, for while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would even dare to die. But God, God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. See, do you cling to this? Over and over again, Paul wants you and I to personalize this. In verse 6 of Romans 5, while we were still weak, can I get a witness? I have felt more tired and weak and confused is it over? I get my hopes up and it comes crashing down. While we were still sinners in Romans 5.8, Christ died for us. While we were still enemies. Romans 5.10, Christ reconciled us to God. So now we're adopted. We're brothers and sisters. We're joint heirs with Christ. All of the way God loves Jesus, now God loves you and I. Jesus loves us so much. God loves us so much. It's not a halfway love. It's not a half-hearted love. It's not a moody love. It's not an earned-based love. Think about it. God loves us. Are you ready? All right. God loves us as weak sinners who are enemies of all that he is. And he still sends Christ to come to the earth. And he lives for us, and he dies for us, and he rises for us. And by the way, he now lives and reigns and intercedes for us. Friends, listen to me. You need to realize Satan doesn't love you. He wants to destroy you. The world doesn't love you. The world is moody. It lies. It changes. It accepts one day only to reject you the next. You've got to earn the favor of the world, not with Jesus. In Christ, we have the ultimate relationship. It's a safe relationship. It's focused, and it's once for all. And watch now. Paul gets this because in 2 Corinthians 5, he says, For Christ's love compels us. Now, since we have this, reached this conclusion, what's that conclusion? If one died for all, then all died. And he died for all so that those who live should no longer live for themselves. So Northview family... When we were running from God, even though we smile or we're religious and go to church, even when we tried to do our best, even when we look for love and meaning in every other place but to God, when we run to the world or we substitute God with money or pleasure or stuff or having our way or wanting our rights, when we play games with God, using Him to fit our own view of Him, God still loves us. And that's why... Paul would say, I've been crucified with Christ, and I don't live any longer. I live now in Christ. 
Christ's love is as expansive as God himself. You'll never exhaust it. You'll never come to the end of it. You'll never make God love you more, and he could never love you less because he's God. Are you resting in, lavishly enjoying the love of God? God didn't turn his back on you when we were still weak sinners. Who or how would or could God turn his back now that we are called friends? We're children. And so we see the sacrificial love of Christ. We see the intimate love of Christ. But you know what, Northview, and we all need this in this day and age. We need to see the missional love of Jesus. Look again at our passage. You did not choose me, but I chose you. Now watch this. And I appointed you. Okay, for what? So that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. Now watch this. So that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. So it's a sacrificial love, it's an intimate love, but it's a missional love. Jesus loves us for a reason. It's a love that has an outcome. You see, if you know and believe and trust in the love of Jesus, then you will love others. You see, the only love that won't disappoint you is the love of Christ. It can't change. It can't be lost. It's not based on the ups and downs of life or how well you live. It's not, not even death can take it away from you. God's love is the only love like that. And Jesus modeled it. It was an active love because his love is active. It's a love that pursued. It's a love that is always, 1 Corinthians 13, that we often read at weddings and sing about. At the end of it, what does he say? Faith, hope, love. But the greatest of these is love. Have you ever thought about why? Do you remember that faith and hope and love? Faith and hope, does God need to have faith or hope? No, you and I do. We have faith in God. We hope in God. But love is eternal. Why? Because love is an actual attribute of God. So when you and I are loving, we are actually reflecting God. And that's why Paul would say, but God who is rich in mercy because of his great love... What happens then, verse 10, for we are his creation created in Christ Jesus for good works. So since we've been loved and forgiven and changed and empowered, we've been done, given all that for a mission. So that's why Jesus said what he did in Matthew 9, pray ye the Lord of the harvest. That's why he told them in Matthew 28, go into all the world in Luke 24 and Acts 1.8. You see, when we get the love of Jesus and we've experienced the sacrificial love of Christ, the intimate love of Christ. It gives us a mission. It gives us a love because not only do we love each other, being kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as God also forgave you in Christ, we now can be imitators of God. We want to go and we want to love on our church family and the world will see this. So let me ask, do you see and feel the love of God for you? Now think about how your attitude and your life perspective would change if you saw that kind of love and then your spouse saw it and your kids did and your church family did or your pastor did, your mom and dad did, your siblings did, your co-workers, your fellow students. That's next level stuff. And so I want you to realize our relationship, Grant Osborne says, with each other grows out of the eternal relationship that we have with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. All our relationships emerge and draw their energy from our relationship with Christ. And so it will affect your husband-wife relationship and your mom and dad relationship and your parent-to-child relationship and your work relationship and your Christian-to-government relationship. 
You cannot truly know the love of Christ without loving one another. Love cannot be abstract. It must be concrete. So will you and I love each other? And you're only going to do it if you really know the sacrificial, intimate love of Jesus that puts you on mission. When I survey the wondrous cross as a great anthem and hymn that we all love so much, and I think Mr. Watts must have gotten John 15, 12 to 17, because he says, I survey this wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, and my riches gain I count but lost, and I pour contempt on all my pride. And so forbid it, Lord, that I should boast, save in the death of Christ my Lord, because all the vain things that are often charming me most, I want to sacrifice them to his blood. And then he says, were the whole realm of nature mine, that were an offering far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. Enjoy and be strengthened by the sacrificial, intimate, missional love of Christ. And let us be on mission because of it. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the power of the word of God. Thank you for the way it transforms us. Thank you for the way that it works within us. And I thank you for your patient, eternal, long-suffering love. Lord, I pray that my friends here at Northview would not ever doubt that this is too good to be true. This is reality. This is the way you love us. And Lord, I also pray that this would break through our feelings that when somebody else loves me like this, then I'll love Oh, God, may we know the love of Jesus in such a way we can't help ourselves. We just want to love on each other, and we want the whole world to see that transformative, powerful love so that it gives us credibility and testimony to a watching world. Revive our country, Lord. Work in our hearts. In Jesus' precious name, amen.